Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Bjork Unraveled, there are two ways you can support the show. One, you can share it with your friends. And two, you can make a small monthly donation through Anchor or a one-time donation through PayPal. Both links are in the show notes. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar helps me break even on music and transcription software. Just being real here, if 20 of you donated $1 a month, I could cover my monthly expenses and keep the show going. Thanks so much for your support. All right, on to the show. You're listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. I'm your host, Savannah Wright. My first time, it was 2003. This is Chris Rotomato. He lives in Miami, surrounded by lush houseplants and three large aquariums. If you happen to hear water in the background, that's why. Chris has been a Bjork fan since 1996, and he's seen her live nine times. And I was very young, and it was in San Francisco, the greatest hit store. And this uh, artist comes on stage, and it was just pure magic from like the first you know, note. It was like, wow, I can't believe I'm witnessing this. And it changed my perspective on seeing like, like live music and artists that you like, because you could really be into an artist and then you see them live and they're underwhelming or, you know, it's like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have seen them. It kind of kills the vibe. <laughs> like, Bjork was definitely something that if you are a fan, of, you know, or really into the music, the live experience kind of, I, I don't know, it, it's something magical that happens. If you're a Bjork skeptic, you might be like, magic? Yeah, okay. But now that I've witnessed it myself, I can officially say that's true. That magic comes from the feeling of being enveloped in her voice, its resonance echoing around you. It comes from the buzz of being surrounded by fans who love her music just as much as you do. And it comes from wondering how she'll reinvent her songs on this tour on this night. Bjork seems to know this herself because she's released a live record for every studio album, except Medulla and Utopia. But considering how Cornucopia is heading back on the road, that live Utopia record might be on the horizon. On each tour, she arranges familiar and new hits in the style of her current era. So an electronic song from Post gets the brass treatment of Volta. A song from Volta gets the custom instrument treatment from Biophilia. A happy song from Debut gets a dark treatment on Vulnicura, and so on. And even within different shows from that same tour, she might bring a unique energy or interpretation to that night. So the songs not only change in their instrumentation, but also in their impact. Because when I remember seeing her live when I was very young and thinking like, Every time I saw her, I was like, oh, you know, I have to embrace every moment of it. As I get older, you understand things different and, and things change. Our music's changed, you know, the tour is different and the old songs mean more now. Now you've experienced these songs for 20 years and you're still hearing her play these, you know, uh, oldies in a way. <laughs> and, uh, <Yeah. laughs> you know, so it's really, that's it. You get to see this. Like, I mean, I'm, I've been a fan for a, at least 20 years now, so... From the first time I heard these songs to seeing the transformation and what they mean different to her and to me as a fan, 
it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I do think it is different seeing her live than hearing her just in a recorded or even watching a live performance on on like YouTube or something. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, and the live albums, how she yeah, chose to to document the live experience versus you know the the things. There's so many live events and things that are not documented that are so you know that unique experience that only you were there and that's the only way you would have seen it. To tell the story of Bjork's live performances, I couldn't rely on my one experience, or even on Chris's nine experiences. So I reached out to you, the listeners, to hear about your favorite songs to hear live. In this episode, we'll talk about 10 songs that hit different in person. We'll hear picks from six listeners, and then Chris will add four picks of his own. By the end of it, You'll understand why you haven't lived as a Bjork fan until you've seen her live. I got a lot of suggestions from listeners when I asked the question, what is a song that is better live than on the recorded versions? And the first song that is on the list is Hyper Ballad. So um, I got a, li- a clip from Zach from Brooklyn, New York, talking about why he thinks Hyper Ballad is better experienced live. I think Hyper Ballad is always a hit when it's done live. The first live version of it that I had heard was from the post live CD, which I think was the same version that she did on the Jules Holland show that she appeared on in the mid 90s. It just had this sort of open, powerful sound to it that I just fell in love with. Another great version is the rendition from the Opera House show from the Vespertine Live DVD. I think the thing that really makes that one shine is the orchestral and string accompaniment. just gives it this sort of grand, larger-than-life sound that makes the hair, like, stand up on the back of your neck. And I know it's not technically live, but the version from the Telegram album is, like, my all-time favorite version of Hyper Ballad. It was done with the Brodsky string quartet, and it's very stripped down compared to the studio recording, but it has this sort of elegant simplicity to it that's just breathtaking. Yeah, I agree that the 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 Telegram version with the Brodsky Quartet is definitely a highlight. I feel like the vocals are very raw and passionate and the strings are not as buttoned up as in the Vespertine version. Like they have these kind of raw and squeaky sounds that mirror her voice. So I definitely think that is a highlight as far as different hyper ballad performances. But uh, what about you? Why do you think this song is better performed live? And do you have any like stories? Because you've seen Bjork several times. Yes. Um, to me, it was during the Greatest Hits tour type when they added on the ending of a LFO song that kind of took a, a surprise, like it surprised the crowd. It changed the, the energy. 
What was your reaction when you heard that? Do you remember? It, it was just like a feeling of awe, like, wow. Like, I remember I, I was able to, lucky enough to witness it a few times. I went to two of the shows of the Greatest Hits tour and also uh, during the Volta tour. That was also incorporated into it. Yeah, no, I mean, I love hearing the horns on the Volta version. I just love how she reimagines it with for the horns instead of just the strings, because even though the strings are like very integral. So number two on our list is Immature. And this is a listener named Brian from Los Angeles. Hi, my name is Brian. Um, I think a song like Immature is better live than on the album recording because there's something about the album that seems to restrain or almost restrict or limit Bjork's emotion, her or the the sort of raw power of her voice. And when it's performed live, that's something that is just so much more free and unbound. And it doesn't matter what era tour she's performing it in. It's just so much bigger, so much deeper, so much more raw. And that's something really great for such a fun, upbeat song. I just love it. I agree when I see uh, there's like a 1999 version. I think it was the homogenic tour I found on YouTube. It's interesting that she doesn't really stick to the rhythm of the song. She kind of sings almost in free time, but she is definitely more uninhibited with the way she sings it. She kind of growls more and plays with it. Um, Do you have any memories of hearing this song live that you could talk about? Um, To be honest, I don't. Uh, I do adore the song. Uh, I, I agree with the comments about the voice and the things, but I don't have my personal experience with the song. Yeah, dang, that's too bad because I'm sure it would be awesome to to be there and hear it. But um, the main thing that I noticed in her vocal performance from the Homogenic Live is how she kind of draws out the immature part where she's like, eh. And I feel like it really accentuates her frustration. Like, Ugh, I'm like, why did I do that? And I love how she kind of like moves her hand in a circle to kind of show that cycle of like how she just kept making the same mistakes. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that was definitely really fun to watch in the in the in the homogenic live um, the DVD, right? Yeah, that one was really fun to fun performance to watch through that DVD. So the the next one um, that a listener brought up is All Neon Like, um, and this is Derek from Portland, Oregon. Hi, I want to suggest All Neon Like live from the Homogenic Tour. In this version versus the original, it's got much more of a kind of a haunting atmosphere. Um, sounds very much more spacey. The live strings are on it, and towards the end of the song, 
they kind of go off on their own and kind of play different parts that aren't on the actual album. Also, Bjork's voice is just really powerful sounding. The chorus, if you want to call it, the luminous beam part, it kind of holds on to this note. And in the live one, it just carries this note so much louder and it's just very spacey. It's almost a little more creepy sounding, but kind of beautiful too. I'm sure it must have been amazing in the homogenic tour just because it was her voice pre-surgery, so she could really just like belt it out as much as she wanted. Uh, yeah, there was a version on the on the Vonacoria tour, right? Yeah, that was the other one I wanted to bring up. The beat on that one is slightly different too. It could be an Arca thing, but it really kind of gives it a more intense energy. Yeah, it was that energy during that tour too, like having Arca throughout, like rearranging the music. Yeah. The the fourth song is um, Undo. And so this was suggested by a listener named Joe from California. I think the live version of Undo is better than the studio version. Because, and this is true for, you know, most of Vespertine Live, is you trade the microbeats for these beautiful vocals and choir and heart parts. And the heart part of Undo Live is really special to me. And you just get this beautiful choir of voices saying it's not meant to be a struggle, it's not meant to be a strife, you know, it's okay, and just sort of it feels really this uplifting, beautiful soundscape. And Bjork's vocals especially really get to shine in this sort of echoing space which I think really fits with the themes and general sound of Vespertine. I got to agree, this choir, like in the Vespertine live version, it feels so celestial. It's very soothing. Like it just kind of captures the message of the lyrics about you're struggling just a little too much. You're trying too hard kind of like soothing the the listener. Like you got to take it easy. (laughs) Yes. There's definitely, uh, I mean, during the, was the during the Vespertine tour, right, with the Matmos, you know, doing these tiny glitch electronics and stuff. Did we hear Undo again in which tour do we, we, we follow? Uh, Volnikora, I know it's in there. Yeah, okay. I think it follows that kind of emotional like ride of those because it wouldn't have fit into biophilia or something. But like imagine Volta, you know, if yeah, if, they, if she true. played it during the Volta tour, I'm not sure. I might be wrong, but yeah, no, it's definitely a little too soft for Volta. <laughs> um, but someone pointed out, I think it might have been in the comments on the Volnikora live version of this like YouTube clip that I saw that you could almost consider the song in a different light depending on where she is in her life. Like, you know, Volnikora, it's post-divorce. And so it's almost like a self-care song, like just kind of assuring herself like 
it's gonna be okay so i don't know i just love this song live it's so heavenly i hope she brings it out definitely again. definitely i feel like it'll fit into the well whatever new from <laughs> new thing is coming yeah i don't know what the new thing will be but i could hear it for orchestral um so the fifth one that was brought up is wanderlust oh okay um yeah. So this one is suggested by a listener named Roberto from Berlin, Germany. I remember watching it um, on the DVD from Voltaic, the version that is more similar to the album. And then watching other performance, I saw how uh, she was uh, integrating more and more bits from the remix uh, made by Matthew Herbert, which I love. And thinking that Volta has this uh, feeling of uh, not being finished or polished or being a little bit raw for the songs to evolve live, I think uh, Wanderlust has evolved very, very nice with the beats by Matthew Herbert from the remix. It sounds like you've probably experienced this one because you had like a a reaction when I brought it up. <laughs> it, it definitely that's a really hi- uh, highlight on the, on the live. Well, I got to experience it during um, the the Volta tour, and when you, when you hear it on the Voltic live recording, it, it sounds like an adventure and it sounds upbeat. It pre- pumps the crowd into this energy. The song itself, I mean, aside from that, but it's really really. A qu- exciting track to experience live, definitely. Yeah, I I would imagine. Um, I mean, with Volta live, it's like perfect because she has the brass band, and then she gets to add a bunch of drums. That was the main thing I noticed is there were a lot more drums in, um, in this one. But then uh, you also have her bringing it out for Volnikora Live and Utopia Live. So it's interesting for Volnikora, it's all about the strings, right? Because that's a very string-heavy tour. But then with Utopia, it's flutes. It's happy times. They seem to keep She brought it out for the October 31st orchestral show. And she pitched it down, which I guess it makes sense. Like she can't always hit all the notes as her voice continues to age, but just was not the same as these other ones that (laughs) were brought up. I mean, I think in the orchestral, I guess it makes a little sense. Like it's not... You know, a full-on raging show. <laughs> I don't know. So it kind of, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it seems a bit formal, but it still has that edge. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like a concert hall and people yeah. sitting down. Yeah, that's a good point. So the sixth one that a listener 
brought up that I want to share is Loss, which is interesting because it's not one of my favorite songs in general from Bjork, but here's what Jose from Mexico City said about Loss. Loss wasn't my favorite song from Utopia at the beginning, but then in Cornucopia, I really got to understand that the poetry of it is not just hidden in the lyrics, it's also hidden in the music itself. And it's very, very powerful because you just sit there and you have like a bunch of flutes revolving all around your head while some strong electronic beats just kick in with that bass. And you have a majestic Bjork singing with her very soft, deep voice full of raw emotion. It really changed my perspective. Have you heard this one live? Yes, I went to the Cornucopia tour in New York. It's it's kind of like a thing, you know, you're watching all these live shows or you're a fan of Bjork and then you're listening to these songs for the first time live and they're still new songs, so you're still kind of getting used to them. And more, many of the songs of Utopia that were in the first round, you know, it, it was a struggle to like kind of get into it, but that's, I guess, the exciting part of it. So I, I do agree, but I, you know, personally, it, it's still part of my learning experience being a fan. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I think where a lot of the fans are feeling that way, they're like still kind of getting into Utopia because um, we all just want to hear like the favorites that we know and love <laughs> yeah. already. Yeah. But I will say like when I watch this version for the orchestra and just like on a 2018 clip, I think it's better than the recorded version because I don't really like the way that that song is mixed on the album. Like I feel like her voice is too quiet compared to the beats, so it just kind of gets drowned out. And maybe that was intentional. I'm sure it was. But personally, I, I want to hear her voice in the flutes a little bit more. So I think hearing that part live, like it, it makes it more beautiful, <laughs> which I like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like that that's the kind of like you hit it right there. You know, that's sometimes when you listen to these songs on the album and the voices could almost be distorted or drowned in through things. And so it's kind of hard. And then when you hear it live, you hear this raw, like central, like, her vocal and the instrumentation like kind of separate into it, but all together and you understand the song and it even songs that are not your favorites become really just epic, like uh, Sumi. But yeah, like that's something that surprised me, you know, as, as far as like a new song that I really was like, wow, you know, this is, uh, it could be into my like top songs it's interesting you brought up sumi because yeah i feel like she will usually transition from lost right into sumi and so i feel like they maybe are kind of going together in a way um but i think another thing that uh you can get out of the live performance is not just the way that she performs it with her voice but also like her hand gestures and so i've noticed that when she performs loss at the end she kind of has this like rallying moment where she thrusts her fist in the air like showing that she's 
self-assured in her vulnerability, kind of like the lyrics where it goes, soft is my chest, I didn't allow loss. Loss make me hate, didn't harden from pain. So she's like showing how much she's overcome. And I like that it's like a moshing moment almost for her. Like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> Triumph, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool to see that journey, yeah. Well, now we are transitioning into number seven, Unravel, which is your pick. So now you get to tell me why you wanted to talk about this song. Okay, so personally, this was the first song that I saw live. This was the opening track. This, I kind of like set this mood and just hearing like this is what Bjork Live sounds like, the first sound in your head. There was a visual aspect to it, just seeing her in the flesh for the first time, you know. She had the asymmetrical haircut and, and this outfit and headpiece, and it was just like, this is her life. And I had never seen that before. And, you know, it, that was the magic. It was a magical moment. So I guess that's why it, it's connective. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Every Bjork fan who's seen her live, they probably have a similar story where it's like, this is the first song I heard and this is why it's always going to be in my heart, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I watched a video of her performing this for the Biophilia tour where she had a smaller like vocal ensemble of female singers. I really loved hearing it that way. I just love when she sings with choirs. I think the layers of, of vocals are so gorgeous. But um, someone pointed out in the YouTube comments, just like, again, the timing of this performance, because during the Biophilia tour is kind of like also the unraveling of her relationship with Matthew Barney. And so this this version kind of hits different. It's just like you can feel the emotion and, and the pain in her voice. Um, and it's just like, oh, such a good version. <laughs> I totally agree, and I actually got to catch that version, you know, during oh, the yeah? biophilia the, during the biophilia tour. It it was the thing again of seeing her live, and then just that song always connected to my first song seeing her live. So now that you mentioned these comments, like it did bring me that like moment of how like you know kind of like heart piercing it kind of felt, but Volnacoria hadn't happened, <laughs> like hadn't come along to us yet. But Unravel, like, really stuck out when she played it, and it was, like, haunting, you know? Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. It's funny, because when we set up this interview originally, I was like, I don't know when I'm ever going to see her live. And then she announced, oh, I'm coming to L.A. And I was like, okay, I get to see her. And then I had that crazy experience of the listener offering me tickets to see her in Reykjavik so I got to see Unravel live there and oh man like her voice is just so powerful I mean that's a fantastic first time by the way sorry not to sidetrack yeah as a a fan you know like I have seen her many times and that's like to me like wow (laughs) just to be in Iceland and I hope you enjoyed the experience overall oh for sure yeah I've I've heard from a couple people like this is one of her best in recent memories so I feel very blessed (laughs) yeah the orchestrals have been this is why I love her a lot, you know, love the, her art. Yeah. 
Okay, so number eight is Stone Milker. And mm, okay. Oh, man. Okay, yes. Just just talk to me about this song. <laughs> uh, it is such a beautiful, beautiful song. I got to experience it live, and I just was so overly emotional just to hear this. My eyes were immediately watery just to be like, here we go. Like, you're yeah. just started, you know? Yeah, I really want to see it live because just like the orchestration alone just moves me. It's just so powerful, like, con- like connecting to just the feeling of sadness and just like knowing that you can't change something and like trying to come to peace with it. Oh, man. So number nine is Come To Me. I've only heard the Homogenic Live and the Volnikura live versions of this song, but please tell me, what is it like to experience it for yourself? Uh, again, I think the, the Volnikura one took me away because to me it's the most beautiful transformation live for a song. You. It, it's already kind of a sad song in a way, but I don't think I, when I first heard it, I didn't think of it in that way, you know? And the fact that it was being able to transform and like match this like emotion, it was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. Because I feel like, you know, Volnikora is a, a, a darker album, you know? And so this was kind of like a darker version of it that was just like kind of slower, like you were saying, but also just intense. Um, I love also um, the homogenic live version because it starts off with that incredible violin solo. I love like what you mentioned, like the, the darker feel and the, the sadness of that Vonokoryu too. It was nice to cry and watch your favorite <laughs> artist, you know? Oh my gosh, yes. I'm, I'm here for it as well. Um, just, yeah, just seeing her perform certain songs moves me to tears. And it seems like that's a common thing with a lot of Bjork fans. Like we all just cry as she sings because it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just seems like a private world. Like, I mean, that's what's so exciting about her music, you know? It feels like your, your personal, you know, song, even though... What, you know, Unravel means to me is different from what it means to you. And we hear it in different ways. We experience it in different ways, you know. And it's still the same song. And we're going to hear it in so many more ways, hopefully, to come. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like, you know, you might see it. This is maybe true for you because you've seen her several times over many years. But it's like a song will kind of change its meaning as you go through life as well. Like it changes meaning for her, but also for you, the way you receive it. Definitely. Yeah, so that brings us to the last song that you chose, uh, number 10, Declare Independence. This one must have been a bop. Can you talk to me about um, experiencing <laughs> this one live? Um, the Volta Tour, um, which I got to experience uh, three times. That set, you know, that album, that energy, that vibe, it was so exciting. Declare independence. Don't let them do that to you. 
Yeah, that must have been so fun to just jam out to. I love that she introduced it. At, she's like, we're going to end the evening with a lullaby. And then it just goes, da 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 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the energy. That's the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool that for Biophilia, they used the Thunderbolt. Yeah, I got to say, like, now that I have seen her live, I feel like I kind of have recontextualized the way I listen to some of her songs. Um, like with Medulla, you know, I'm just going to say, like, I'm not a huge fan of Tanya Tagak. And so when I heard those songs live and she was just singing it with the Hamara Heath Choir, I was so in love with it. And it really kind of changed my perspective on a lot of those songs. And I just, I felt like it finally clicked. Like I finally got it. <laughs> and so that's how it is. I feel like with some of the songs, you hear them live and you're like, oh, this is how it's meant. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. I feel like as a fan, it's okay to not understand it all the way, but still appreciate it. And uh, maybe these live songs, especially like Utopia, like the deconstruction of Isabel and, and like, like what what is this uh, new, new new versions of you know changing perspectives and things yeah hearing it um in different versions on different tours i love that she does that because that makes each song feel fresh and my last question and i always ask this to my guests but why does bjork's music matter to you personally um personally it it was like an avenue to me, um, to explore everything around me, to always challenge yourself, I guess. And I've learned about so many other things, so many different music genres that I've never been into. It's like, she's made of so many other things, you know? So many collaborators. And that to me was like, why it's so important that you can put your visions across and you might need like, you know, 50 people to do it with you. (laughs) But uh, it's like, Bjork is a collective. And I think that's what's pretty cool because people misunderstand it and be like, oh, she's so weird or she's so this or she's also that. But it's like it's a collective of so many different things. And it's always challenging as a fan to understand. And, 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 and if you're down for it and, and learning, and it's really exciting. Yeah, I've never thought of her as a collective. But yeah, she has kind of like a, a sphere of influence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah from the very beginning. <laughs> She's always been just a collective and people are like, oh, Bjork is so quirky and weird. It's like, yeah, she's like freaking 50 to 100 people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for uh, sharing your memories and and your thoughts on these songs. It's great to hear from a fan who's been following her for many, many years so that you have so many different experiences to draw from. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate for having me. A big thank you to Chris Rodamato for coming on the show. You can follow his work at Chris R-O-D-A-M-A-D-O on Instagram. There's this quote from Bjork that has become sort of a meme in the Bjork fan community. She says that her average fan is a gay man from Mexico. And whether or not that's accurate, it definitely captures a larger truth. For many, Bjork is a queer icon. But why? In the next episode, I'll talk to some Bjork fans from the LGBTQ community to answer that question. You've been listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. 
Bjork Unraveled is produced independently by me, Savannah Wright. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and submit a review on whatever podcast app you're using. This episode is brought to you by Enrico Topo, Damaretta Yen, Frank Hassenstab, Bridget Wright, James Wright, Troy Tate, Lara Tate, John Mario Rosa, Kinga Miklos, Anthony Rodriguez, and Eli Wright. I feel safe up here with you. If you have an idea for a future episode, tell me about it. You can find me on Instagram at BjorkUnraveled, or you can email me, BjorkUnraveled at gmail.com. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.